Now we're going to talk about worship this afternoon, um, and it's not going to just be me. It's we're going to ha- actually have um, a guest guest speaker. I guess I could be the guest speaker, and then but we're going to have a guest guest speaker uh, join us in, in a little while. Okay, but we are going to talk about worship. And my working title never really got the final title, but this is the working title: is worship. It's not just for Sundays anymore. And I wanted—I was going to use some material out of this book, but in the interest of time, I cut it out. But I do want to recommend this little book. It's by Matt Redman. Most of you probably heard of him. He's a um, has a rather large following as a, a worship leader. And, uh, he's written a number of songs that are used in churches all over the world. This is called *The Unquenchable Worshipper*. And this is this is really an awesome little book. Um, if you're looking for something to uh, fill in some of your gaps and you want to connect with someone that's been there and done that, this is a good book. Okay. Ah, yes. The um, because we're limited on our uh, what we had available as far as sound, electronics, and computer equipment, all that good stuff. There's no PowerPoint today and no notes. However, you may take notes of your own. The, um, the sheet that you had for the first song, feel free to take that and use that and make your own notes. Thank you. And um, as we go along. And um, if you need a pen, holler. Marianne's got to raise your hand. Or Yes. Okay. Let me do that. Okay. <coughs> okay. Uh, a couple technical things. I want to start with a couple of definitions, and then we're going to uh, look at a couple of uh, passages from the Bible. Um, there are two Hebrew words that make up most of the instances of the word worship in the Old Testament. One is shakah, meaning to bow down. The other is abad, to serve or to work. And if we just think about you know, serving, worshiping God or worshiping Jesus, one is either bowing down, showing, you know, showing that he's um, our superior, and to serve him. I mean, we almost could just stop right there and... You know, let's sing the other three songs and go home. But um, I want to add a little bit more to that. So, the Greek counterparts in the New Testament, there is uh, proskunio, which is also to bow down or to prostrate oneself, and latreio, which is to serve or to pay homage to. Other uses of the word proskunio are to kneel, to touch one's forehead to the ground in reverence, or to kiss the hand of another. But the image of kissing the hand of another, I mean, that's the way it's described, but it's actually, um, you know, as far as like the definition, but the, the actual usage of it is more um, along the lines of a dog lifting its master's hand. Just that kind of love and uh, respect and um, service. So. And generally, ideas in some way show that you recognize the superiority of another and that you are subservient to the other. 
There's a Hebrew word often translated as praise, and that's the word halal. Now we here in the Vineyard Church we don't we pretty much just refer to um, the singing part of our um, service or celebration service as worship. And if you're visiting other churches, or you know, maybe if you're out of town, or if you're going to a um, conference of some kind, you might hear it referred to as praise and worship. And so, just because of that, I wanted to mention that praise word halal. So we actually get the word hallelujah from that word. There's another use of the word halal, and that's is to boast. And so, if you want to think of when we say hallelujah, um, think of it as boasting of something that God's done for us. Well, that that's perfectly okay. And. Is you know want you to feel like you can boast about something God's done for you. Okay. Now we see the first uh, fundamental worship system set up as the sacrificial system that's detailed in the early part of the Old Testament. I'm not going to go into that so much. Um, we also see the birth of a nation, the nation of Israel, and we get to watch the ebb and flow of Israel's relationship with God. And a little bit more on that uh, shortly. We also get to watch God's interaction with individuals along the way. These are generally, though not always, leaders of some kind, of prophets, judges, or kings. This is important because the fortunes of Israel and its sister country that came later on of Judah pretty much rose and fell based on the leaders' worship habits and beliefs. And there's a lot to be learned by examining the various relationships in the Old Testament. And I, just, I really feel like I just want to exhort everyone to spend more time in the Old Testament than perhaps you have been. There's, it's, there's a lot of really rich material there. And it's really easy to stay in the New Testament, but uh, we're missing miss a, a lot if um, that's the only thing you look at. So... Um, what we see is when the leader walked with God, the people generally did well. When the people, leader opposed God and worshipped some false god, Israel suffered. Now, do you think that would still apply today? Is a leader of a country or a state or a city walking with God, would that be important? Okay, good. I see lots of heads yes. nodding, so, okay, good. Um, so, think it matters who you vote for? Yes. Okay. Any kind of election or any office? Okay, yeah. That's, um, I think the, the church is, I believe, in, in this day is, in general, is waking up to the fact that it does matter who's in charge and that... Uh, as Christians, we need to vote how God tells us to. Okay, so here's what would happen in a very general way. You'd have one to three generations or so would follow God, but then they would eventually fall away. The people would be captured by another nation and, and uh, made slaves. Israel would cry out to God in their bondage, misery, pain, and suffering. And then in his perfect timing, God would do something about it and then the cycle would repeat itself. Okay. 
So we're going to look at one king's relationship with God, but um, let's pray a moment first. Lord, just thank you for your word, Lord, and for all of the examples that are in it, um, and just the different ways that we can learn from what's in the written word, Lord, all the, the good examples as well as the bad. And Lord, just ask for your assistance, Lord, as I, as I work through the remainder of uh, this part of the lesson, Lord, to um, share exactly what you would have me to share and have people hear exactly what you want them to hear. In Jesus' name. Okay, so Second Chronicles 29. I have a Bible. I want to follow along. Please feel free to do that. Um, the situation is that there's a king by the name of Ahaz that has just died, and his son Hezekiah has ascended to the throne. Ahaz, to say the least, was unfaithful to God, and his subject had been humbled because of it. Uh, if you ever want to know just how humbled they were, you read chapter 28. Okay, but uh, we'll touch we'll touch on it here here in a moment. So, starting in uh, verse, I mean, chapter 29, verse 1, um, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut out, shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why your sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now, I intend to make a covenant with the Lord and the God of Israel so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. And so what we see is Hezekiah stepping into a situation where a, an extreme makeover is called for. Okay? One that would make Ty, what's his name? Pennington. Pennington, extremely <laughs> happy. And uh, probably wish he could have been a part of it. Okay, so skip over to, and staying in 29, skip over to verse 25 now. And... So at, at this time now they've cleaned out the temple and they're ready to begin the first service in the newly cleansed temple. Hezekiah stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, musical instruments, okay, not people, in the way prescribed by David and Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments, 
and the priests with their trumpets. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. As the offering began, singing of the Lord began also, accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship while the singers sang and the trumpeters played. All this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads and worshipped. And Hezekiah said, You have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices, sacrifices and thank offerings, and all whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. Okay, so we see a, a, an instance of corporate worship, and then and what came, what's going to come out of it is that the Lord has has already begun to bless the the, uh, the people of Israel and Judah, okay, because they um, <laughs> the the temple became overrun with stuff and. Uh, that people brought for uh, offerings, animals and, and whatnot, and uh, so there. I mean, there was stuff just heaped everywhere. I mean, literally, the word here is, is heat. Okay, and so um, skipping down to 35, and just to sum up what's just happened. So the service of the temple of the Lord was reestablished. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. And then, um, so Hezekiah sends out the word to all of Israel and all of Judah that the Passover was going to be reinstituted along with the various festivals that were commanded to be. And they responded as well. And so we see in chapter 30, starting verse 21, the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests sang to the Lord every day accompanied by the Lord's instruments of praise. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For the seven days they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. Now this is cool. How'd you like to have a, a week off from work, get together with all your buddies, to have a party, and just be able to say, "Hey, let's let's do it again. Let's go another week." The whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep and goats for the assembly, and the officials provided them with more. Um, the entire assembly rejoiced including aliens who had come from Israel and those who lived in Judah there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the days of Solomon son of David king of Israel there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem the priests and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them it's important to remember God heard them for their prayer reached heaven his holy dwelling place Okay, so we see you know, total shift in people's attitudes, um, 
everybody's worshiping the the Lord, um, the God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh, um, and we see we see God respond to that worship. And so the first step is that we see the beginnings of of a of a of a huge harvest and a blessing on the people, and it only gets better. Um, chapter thirty one, verse ten. They just they brought so so much stuff they don't know what to do with it. Um, Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered Hezekiah when he asked about the heaps of stuff. Said, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord. I wonder if that has application for us in this time. We have had enough to eat and plenty to spare. Because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. Can't help but think of Jesus feeding the five thousand and there being food left over as I, I read that. Okay, and then to wrap up this section is in chapter thirty one over to, to verse twenty. Again, just to kind of sum up, this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. Okay, so um, ultimately, worship is a matter of the heart. It's not of fulfilling some type of religious requirements. Um, In that time, they were worshiping from their heart. They were giving from their heart. They were bringing to the temple from their heart. But over time, they got to where it was just a routine. And um, David was one of the few that actually recognized that this was a matter of the heart. Because this is actually the, in Psalm 51, which is actually before all this takes place, um, Hezekiah, um, he sings of of sacrifices. He says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. And so David understands that, but a precious few at that time and even later on have um, grasped it. And sometimes I wonder, even today, do we get it? You know, are we worshiping from the heart, or are we following some script, or um, you know, some other uh, religious activity? Now, the first recorded prophecy of the prophet Isaiah takes the work takes the worshippers to task on their attitude and lack of sincerity. Uh, in Isaiah one, uh, starting with. Verse 11 it says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Don't tell us all this. I never thought of God having a soul, but 
they have become a, a burden to me. I am weary of, burden, of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And that's what we talked about earlier, the service and the um, care of others. And that's, that's worship. Okay. Um, okay, so we see God actually stops the cycle. And what he does is he sends a series of prophets to Israel over um, a period of years, a variety of messages urging them to repent and to change their ways. And for all intents and purposes, God falls silent. And we have, um, there's a gap of roughly 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament that um, there's nothing recorded and included in, in canon in the scripture uh, that during that period. So I'm sure he, he might have spoken, but there's, it's not included in, in canon. And so that's one thing I just want to mention too is uh, 400 years is a long time. Okay, if you think about today, what, what year is this? Seven. 2007. 2007. 2007. Thank you, people in the front row. <laughs> Wake up. Oh, uh, 2007. Yes. Okay, so 400 years ago would be. 1607. Okay, so in, imagine yourself in 1607. What? <laughs> <laughs> it looks horrible in those clothes, but the yes. mirrors aren't very good, so it's a Okay, and so um, in the. But then you didn't hear any, you, you know, you lived your life, you had your kids and your grandkids, et cetera, et cetera, down through the years for 400 years, and you never had any additional information beyond what you had as far as who God was and how he acted. There was nothing to counter what was happening in that time. So they would have built up, you know, habits, maybe some odd habits, and they're doing things just the best way they know how. Um, even if it's inappropriate, okay. But um, and so I just sometimes I think we we need to be uh, a little more um, tactful, maybe, or have more grace toward our um, Jewish brethren than uh, uh, and sistren. Is that a word? <laughs> to because um, you know, just think about. 400 years without information and how what would things be like okay and it, then we see the emergence of John the Baptist preach again preaching repentance but he's baptizing people and then one day um, Jesus approaches him and John makes this declaration look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world now, interestingly enough, we're going to sing a song later. You probably, you're, everyone should be reasonably familiar with it. Um, it's called Agnes Dei. Dei. I don't, I'm not sure Dei. how to say it. Anyway, anybody know what that means? Lamb of God. Very good. Thank you. You get a cookie. Yes. Agnes Dei means Lamb of God. Okay. So, um, 
And then throughout the Gospels, we see the unfolding of Jesus making and then becoming the ultimate sacrifice. And we think about you know what we looked at with Hezekiah and his people, and they're you know everything's going great, and so you know everybody's excited, and and you know they're bringing stuff, they're worshiping, everything's going great. What about when things aren't going so great? How do we? What's our worship like then? Um, let's see what another biblical figure, what he how responded to that kind of situation. The, the Apostle Paul and uh, one of his uh, partners, Silas, they were in the city of Philippi on uh, one of one of the mission trips that he had gone on. Paul was um, a great figure in the New Testament, um, probably had next to Jesus the highest impact on the first century church. And here he is in jail. Well, let me back up. Here's how he gets in jail and what happens. Says, um, they were going to the place of prayer and they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us. This is Luke talking. And that, for if you if you if you not don't know, um, consider Acts an extension of the Gospel of Luke. And if you read that in one unit, um, because it's the same author, and it's pretty much an, Luke Acts is pretty much um, an extended work that can be put together. And this is when Luke has just joined this because it, it switches over from I to we. <laughs> okay, so where did I go? She kept, oh. The girl was shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now you'd think that that would be a good message, even though, you know, that, um, but it was probably inappropriate timing and delivering inappropriate ways and Paul just came, became so troubled he turned around he said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ I command you to come out of the woman and at that moment the spirit left her when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities they brought them before the magistrates and said these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, anybody see the Passion of the Christ? Okay, have an idea what flogging might be like. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, they're kind of in a tight place, right? Um, don't raise your hands, but anybody in a tight place right now? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't know if I could do that. I would like to be, you know, to say that that's how I would respond in a similar situation, but um, I don't know if I could, if I'm there yet. So they're praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening. 
Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And so we see the result of their worship. Um, I don't know for certain, but I would tend to believe that had they been complaining and grumbling, etc., etc., while they were in that situation, that they probably would not have had that dramatic deliverance. Okay. Okay. So we've seen, you know, a couple of examples of of worship, corporate worship and individual worship and under a couple of different settings. And so now I'm going to turn it over to my partner. And, you know, I figured it's kind of, you know, if we're talking about worship, it might be appropriate to to have a worship leader share some with you. And so if you would, please welcome Mr. Justin Taylor. Thank you very much. No applause needed. Um, no, sorry. In fact, I left my, my outline over here. Um, yeah, so there's been, uh, you know, when, when David first approached me, there's um, a few things that were kind of on my heart about it. And uh, and so he's been talking about, you know, what, what worship is. Um, and some things occurred to me about worship. And, and first I want to um, get from you guys what... How would you describe worship to somebody? And this is the talk back to me moment yeah. here. I, I, like, I like responses. So let's, how would you describe worship? Praising God. Good. Honoring God. Honoring God. On your uh, on your face or standing. Good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's no wrong answer. Everyone's like, oh, is that it? But yeah, you're exactly right. You know, it's honoring God, praising God. Um, and I, I don't have the, the Hebrew like David did, but I do have a, um, it was an old English, uh, where, where we get the actual English word worship from. And uh, the old English version of it was, um, and I don't know if I pronounce it right, but it's uh, worthship. Worship, um, but basically the literal meaning of it is worthiness or acknowledgement of worth. And I was thinking about that. I was like, well, you know, that's really cool because that's, you know, that's what worship is. Worship is our response to His goodness, His love, His kindness, His presence in our lives. It's how we respond to that. Um, you know, somebody had had was talking to me once about. You know, oh man, you look at all these worship songs, and they're all about, oh, I, you know, I do this, Lord, and come to me, and you know, it's, it feels very inward focused. And then I was thinking about that, you know, rather than rather than praising Him and lifting Him up, which there there are songs like that, but most of them are what we're doing for Him. And I got to thinking about that, and I was like, you know, that kind of makes sense if you think about it, because you know, He knows how He is. <laughs> You know, he knows that he's good, he's loving, he's kind. Not that we shouldn't tell him that, we should always praise him that way, but worship uh, really connects with how we respond to what he gives to us. Um, so, the first thing that was on my heard about worship is um, worship is not just about the music. You know, it's, it's not 
Okay, well, it's time for worship. Play some songs. We'll sing to Jesus, and we're good. Worship is every aspect of our lives. Amen. Um, you know, whether that be, you know, how we treat others. You know, somebody cuts you off. I know Randy always says that all the time. You know, someone cuts you off on the road. What do you do? How you respond to that could be worship or could not be worship. The opposite of. Um, when we see somebody on the side of the road begging, you know, how do we respond to that? How we respond to that, to that could be worship or could not be. Um, how we treat our friends, our strangers, you know, spouses, if, if you have spouses. Um, that all has to do with worship. Um, another aspect is, is um, do you submit to his will? And not only like, okay, here's a major decision coming up, but in every situation, you know, I, I know I am not there yet, and I want to be, but do we take each moment in the smallest thing of, oh, I need to make a call, are we checking with him, are we, um, it's, I don't know what verse it is, um, I should have looked this up, but it's just not coming to mind, uh, it talks about um, we should be in, in constant, constant prayer with him. You know, and prayers are, of course, you know, is talking to him, and it's not a one-sided conversation. You hear back from him. You know, we should always be in that connected spot of like, okay, God, you know, do you want me to talk to this person, or do you want me to go to this place today, or, or you know, whatever the the situation may be. Um, you know, worship could be, you know, how how's your Quiet times. Look, do you have a moment set a time during the uh, set aside during the day that you choose to go and meet with him and just be in his presence and listen to what he has to say, as well as well as you know expressing what's on your heart. Uh, all of this can this this ties into worship because of the acknowledgement of yes, you're worthy, Lord. You know, you're you're worthy for me to. I do these things for you. You're so so much higher than me. Um, want to read a verse to you. It's Romans 12, verse 1. If you have a Bible. And here it is. Says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will accept. When you think of what He has done for you, uh, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. And so, you know, for me, I, I look at the things that were done in the Bible, you know, and, and the amazing miracles that happened, you know, uh, that Jesus did and His disciples did. And you look around today, and it's so rare to see those things. And I think, um, I think a lot of times we get stuck in oh, we're going to church, this is our time of worship here. Or, hey, you know, we're going to home group, this is another time where we get to worship. 
And worship is not a once a week or twice a week or three times a week thing. It's it's every moment of every day of our lives. We choose to worship or we choose not to. Um, now it talks about, um, which I want to recommend a book too that I'm, I'm reading in our growth group. But celebration, uh, the celebration of discipline. Was it, that's the title, right? Okay, just making sure. Okay. Um, fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Uh, but one of the things um, that in there it talks about, um, you know, and we're reading in, in that verse, it talks about, um, let me read it again. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, the part I want to highlight there is let God transform you. There's nothing that we can do as humans to change ourselves. We can't do it. All we can do is get ourselves in a position to be changeable by him. And that's part of worship. That's part of that submission that I was talking about earlier. By, by meeting with him every day and by connecting and getting closer to him, we're putting ourselves in a position for him to change our heart and change the way we act. Um, and I think that's how we're going to get to a, a spot of really making a difference in our community and in this world in general is we got to um, we got to be in a place where he has changed us in such a way that we see the things happening not necessarily that we have to do a miracle not that it's a requirement of being a Christian but by people um, you know we're changed in such a way that people see us and notice something different and uh, abnormal <laughs> Uh, in our lives. Um, next thing, next point I, I want to bring up is uh, worship is a choice that we have uh, rather than something we experience. You know, so same thing going back to talking about each moment of each day. Um, you have a choice at that very moment to worship or not to worship. You know, the way we talk to our friends, we're choosing at that moment to worship or not to worship. And, you know, that, uh, and I'm speaking to myself as much as any of you guys in the audience, by the way, um, you know, that we can get stuck in, in the same patterns we have, you know, whether they be good or bad patterns, you know, day in and day out. And, uh, you know, I don't think we realize the fact that everything we do has an eternal impact. Um, you know, the, the way, the words I use, you know, do I cuss in a conversation? You know, am I using that same tongue to worship the, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe? Um, and so worship is certainly a choice that we have rather than something we experience. And how you can tell, which is another thing that that wonderful book brought up. Actually, it was a study we did on our first John. Um, so actually, the next verse I want to read is First John um, one five through seven. And it says, um, "The one who existed from the beginning is the one we have heard and seen." Here, let me make sure I have the right one. Sorry. Five through seven. 
This is the message he has given us to announce to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not living in the truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have the fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. So there's, there's your proof right there. You can take a look at your life. And if you see the same patterns as you know, someone who maybe doesn't know Jesus, or the same patterns that you have always done throughout your life, that, uh, you know, that you're still doing now that you know Jesus and, and you're living your life for him, then you know that you're not fully living <laughs> in his presence. And I, and I love that verse because it's so straightforward. You know, there's no like, oh, I do it most of the time. Or if you're not, if you're not living in his presence and, and people aren't, uh, you know, if, if you're not uh, every moment living in the light, not to say that we're perfect by any means, but we're choosing at every moment to live in that light, then, you know, that's your, your litmus. What is it? Lit? Test. Litmus test. test. I don't know if it's litmus or lit. Anyway, that's your test there, um, to say the least. Um, so also, you know that that you know it, it worship does control every part of your life. But also, you know, just take for an example when we're worshiping with music. Um, you know, going back to the fact that worship is a choice rather than something we experience. Uh, your experience with worship at that moment has nothing to do with anybody else except you and God. Um, doesn't have anything to do with how we play up on the worship team uh, or whatever worship team you're listening to at the moment, the CD, although, you know, that sometimes helps if, you know, they're not, you know, singing really badly or out of tune or if I'm not hitting wrong notes constantly. Uh, but, uh, but you still have the choice to enter into worship at that moment. You still have the choice to get your heart in a spot to where you say, you know what, God, I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to, I'm going to worship you because you are worthy. You are worthy of everything I have. Um, so the last point that I want to go over is what, what can you expect from him when you choose to worship? And, uh, it's very simple. You can expect his faithfulness. I want to read you a few verses in a row here. Um, first one is Deuteronomy 4.29. These are just some examples of you, you know, his promise to us that he makes. Um, From there you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. That's not like, okay, if you search for him with all your heart and soul and really try for hours and hours and hours, you may come in contact with him. No, it says, if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul, a heart and all your soul, you will find him. So he's going to show up. Another example, Proverbs 8.17.
I love all who love me. Those who search for me will surely find me. So, if you love him, he loves you. And he loves everybody who may not know him. But he makes it a point to say, I love all who love me. Those who search for me will surely find me. Again, seeing that search and find. Uh, Matthew 7, 7. It's the last one. Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. And so, you know, we see time and time again that if we just choose to worship Him, um, He's always there. He's always ready to, um, you know, to, to lift, up, lift, lift us up and bring Him into His arms. And so, um, so with that being said, why don't we... Uh, are you coming back up? Yes, more so. So I'll hand it back over to Mr. Danley. Y'all give it up for Mr. Danley. You did an awesome job. Oh, I'm sorry. I just left my junk up there for you. <laughs> just in case. And while we did uh, do some brainstorming together, we um, and did have some limited interaction. I want to stress the limited, but our messages really dovetailed well together because we have one Holy Spirit, and that's um, that's an awesome thing. So here's to. Here's worship in a nutshell. God loves us. Jesus loves us. Worship is us loving them back any way we can, any time we can. The question is, the choices we have, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it regardless of circumstance? Are we going to do it regardless of when things aren't going so well? Are we going to do it 24-7? Can we be like the prophet Habakkuk and say, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. That's a pretty sad situation to be in, right? Especially if you're a farmer. But here's, but here's Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So when we've been beaten and thrown into prison for a crime we didn't commit, what's our response? Will we pray? Will we sing praises? Will we worship God? Will we worship Jesus in that circumstance? Should we be faced with our own extreme makeover? Will we work with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to see restoration happen? Something that to chew on for the next few days and to take to God. And, and then now I would like to bring the worship team back up. Oh, I do want to apologize for the temperature. This is only our second Sunday in this facility, and we're still trying to figure out how things work. So it is a little warm, and I apologize for that. Um, 
So if you guys want to get go ahead and get set up. Now, this is an opportunity to worship. The team is going to lead us in a time of singing to God and Jesus. And I just I want to encourage you to put everything aside and concentrate on them as best you can. And just let your spirit worship in spirit and truth and worship the living spirit of God. Now at some point in the final song, we're going to transition into a time of ministry prayer and I will... Um, I'll be back to coach you from there.